G'day, mate. 40 here. I'm back in Sydney. It's good to be live. We're going out live over YouTube, over Rumble, over Twitter, over Facebook. And uh, I want to talk about the demise of the Wolf Warrior. So, so some people think that that uh, different groups just have you know certain inalienable, inevitable characteristics, and that's just how they'll be. So, at the time of the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin, you know, many people just thought that uh, blacks in America are just inherently passive when. Jews have been particularly oppressed. Uh, they've, they've struck many people as particularly passive. Now, many people in America think that, you know, Mexican-Americans, they're just always going to be super passive. Or the Chinese used to be thought of as passive. And then we had the rise of wolf warrior diplomacy, right? So wolf warrior diplomacy is China's diplomacy that's become much more confrontational, much more combative, its proponents are just denouncing the, the mildest criticism of the Chinese government, of the Chinese Communist Party. They're, they're using physical violence against protesters and dissidents. And there was one particular Chinese foreign ministry spokesman, Zhao Lijin, who was particularly combative. I mean, he was, he was really off the hook, and he is now being demoted. So just trying to figure out, does this mean you know, some, some move of wider significance, or is this just uh, purely incidental? Let's get uh, Peter Zion here. Now, for those of you who have been following me for a while, you know that I am not very bullish on China. Uh, it's facing not demographic collapse, it's far faster than that, just complete demographic dissolution uh, and economic collapse that goes along with that within a decade, uh, assuming that there are no other problems. Uh, the United States has put in a series of technological re restrictions that basically killed the entire tech sector. Uh, their energy sector is completely dependent upon the ability to access the Middle East, which is an area they can't reach in force. Uh, their trade system and their economic structures and their employment structures are utterly dependent upon the U.S. Navy making it safe for their civilian vessels to hit the world over. They are arguably the most internationally exposed country in the world, and on top of that, their financial sector and their agricultural sectors are absolute messes, things that make Enron look really well run. Uh, this is a country that is not going to last a whole lot longer. And in that environment, the question is, how do the Chinese prepare for the economic and if they want to politically continue? To this point, their solution has been absolutely ramp, rabid, foaming at the mouth nationalism, convincing their people that it doesn't matter if you can feed your kids, it doesn't matter if you have your job, you're Han Chinese and Chairman Xi is your leader, and that's enough. And to that end, Chinese propaganda has gone from the aggressive to the absolutely hateful. Uh, the person who has probably played the biggest role from an international point of view in this is a guy by the name of Zhao Jilan, who has been the spokesman for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And he is kind of the, the poster child for what the Chinese call warrior wolf diplomacy, which is an unapologetic, ultra-nationalist, very hate and invective-filled approach to dealing with the rest of the world. So this is the guy who has popularized art that shows uh, Australian soldiers with their knees on third world children. Uh, this is the guy who insists that COVID started at Fort Detrick in the United States and was then spread to the world as a way to wipe out non-white people, uh, that sort of thing. He, he's a real piece of work and he's a general asshat. Uh, anyway, as long as he was at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, he was the voice of China on the international stage. Well, in the first week of January, he was transferred very quietly away from the MFA, and he is now a small wig at the Department of Ocean and Boundary Affairs, which is about like getting taken from being the spokesman of God, and all of a sudden now you're responsible for, oh, what would be a great example here? You're in charge of Border Patrol in Northern Idaho. Uh, it's difficult to imagine someone falling so far so fast. Now, the challenge we have in interpreting this is that no one really knows what she is thinking because she is in such a tight cult of personality that he doesn't really confide in anyone. And it's very difficult for Intel to penetrate that sort of environment. But we know that Zhao was one of Xi's favorites. And so for Xi to be not just demoted, but put into a complete cubbyhole in the middle of nowhere in terms of the bureaucracy is an indication that Xi 
knows that this strategy has utterly failed. There is no version of China that survives this unless it finds a way to work with the United States in a constructive way, and one that basically gives the United States everything from a strategic point of view that it wants. The United States is the only country that even theoretically has the tools that could help China survive what's coming. And having somebody whose job it is to throw gravel into the gears of the diplomatic relationship obviously is not helping at all. But to have him so dramatically demoted uh, indicates that perhaps, just perhaps, just maybe kind of, sort of, Xi is realizing that the end is approaching and he really needs to change diplomatic gears if there's any hope for China surviving the rest of this decade. So it's very perspective at this point. But if there was one person who needed to move in order to make a new approach happen, it was Zhao, and now he's gone. Okay, that's it for me. Until next time. Okay, thanks, uh, Peter. Let me get my act together here. Hi, women want everybody to seem this egalitarian sort of flat landscape. I'm trying to work out what the adaptive pressure is that's caused this to be the case. Like why, why would it not be the case that men do that? And why would it be the case that women do that? Okay, so um, this takes us into uh, kind of my work uh, looking at primatology. So I'll give you a little bit of background on that. Um, uh, you can stop me because it, it may not be that interesting. But basically, if you- okay, that's uh, Chris Williamson talking to a Harvard professor of evolutionary theory, Joyce Benenson, about how do women compete for partners? Play more from that later. But finally, got my ducks in a row. So, over the past ten years, when I've talked about the rise of China with people, a lot of people have argued, well, China it's not like those other superpowers. It's not like the bad United States. It's not like the bad Soviet Union. All right? China is peaceful. Right, China is not going to be aggressive. China is not going to be unnecessarily assertive. China is not going to be imperialistic because just the way of the Chinese people is to go along, to get along. They're very pragmatic. They just want to raise their living standards. They're not going to be a threat to anyone. And I said, no. The situation is much more important than whatever you think are the inherent you know, personality traits of a particular country. So. When your situation changes so that you have dominant power over everyone else, even if you tend to be fairly introverted and shy and timid, the change in situation is going to have a powerful change on your personality. And so too with countries, if China you know rises to a dominant position in the world, and between about twenty twenty twelve and twenty eighteen, China felt like it was rising to a dominant position in the world. And so, when you think that your rise is unstoppable, right, when you think you're in an incredibly powerful position, then we all tend to adapt, you know, wolf warrior diplomacy. All right, we bully, and we all have tendencies to bully if we can get away with it. I, to the best of my knowledge, I only had one girlfriend who I ever bullied, and I just found myself yelling at her a lot because that particular situation, she would allow me to get away with it. Uh, didn't happen in any other relationship of which I'm aware because it just wouldn't work, and and the, the women I was dating wouldn't wouldn't put up with it, and I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it. So too with countries, if you place them in a particular situation where they can bully others, they're going to bully others. If it's more effective for you as an individual or you as a nation state to speak quietly and carry a big stick, then you'll employ that method. <clears throat> all right, we all tend to you know apply. Now, all sorts of methods, and then we tend to settle on the one that works. So, you know, sometimes, you know, yelling works, you know, sometimes, you know, just being quiet works. So think about the diplomatic strategies of Kai, the uh, homeless 
Hitchhiker. I'm one of the yeah. heroes. Yeah. Can we talk to you? Do you mind? What do you want to talk about? What happened today? Well, well went straight out of Dogtown, skateboarding, surfing it up. Before I say anything else, I want to say no matter what you've done, you deserve respect. Even if you make mistakes, you're lovable. And it doesn't matter your look skills or age or size or anything, you're worthwhile. No one could ever take that away from you. Now, this stuff right here, I was driving and I was, well, I was in the passenger side of this f***er's car and he comes over on there. He was over by the recycling center. He says, oh, when I was in the Virgin Islands, 30 years old on a business trip, I, 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 I f***ed this 14-year-old. I was like, you what? He's like, I raped this 14-year-old. He starts crying, gives me a big hug. He's just like, 300-pound guy. I'm like, oh, sh**. He must be f***ed, man. Like, what's he talking about? I didn't take him seriously at first. He comes driving down this way. He's like, you know what? I come to realize I'm Jesus Christ, and I can do anything I f***ing want to. And watch this. Bam! And he smashed into this f***ing guy right there, pinned him in between that f***ing truck. And so I it, I hop out. I look over. The guy's pinned there. I mean, like, freight train riders know this. Like, if you get pinned between something, do not f***ing move that shit. Otherwise, you bleed out. Like, mother I, I ran in. I grabbed the keys. He's f***ing sitting there like nothing even happened. And, like, f***ing, like, man, if you started driving that car around again, man, there would have been a hell of a lot of bodies around here. F***ing, I hop on out. And so I grabbed the bag. I threw it over by that pole right there. And then, and buddy gets out and these two women are trying to help him he runs up and he grabs one of them man like a guy that big can snap a woman's neck like a pencil stick so i fucking ran up behind him with a hatchet smash 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 yeah the, the lady said you saved her life she was the one who got grabbed by that fucker. you know what Fuck is cool that guy ain't shit how, how'd you how'd you get in his car how, how did you i was hitchhiking i was well good thing i was hitchhiking yeah, people say, don't hitchhike. Well, this is what happens. Was well, Yeah, well, at least I was here. So he did this on purpose? Dude, that guy was f***ing kooked out, man. Like, he's beyond howling. Like, I don't even see any breath in him, you know what I'm saying? Can, can I get your name and where you're from, if you, if you don't mind? I'm Kai. Kai, can I get spelling for you? Straight out of Dogtown, K-A-I. K-A-I, do you have a last name? <laughs> no, bro, I don't have anything. <laughs> where, where, where are you from originally? Are you from Fresno area? Sophia, West Virginia. No kidding. How old are you? I can't call it. Okay. What, have you ever experienced anything like today? And what made you take the actions that you did? So this guy was a viral hero for saving people's lives. And now he is convicted of murder. Three months later, he was charged with murder. Uh, he was having sex with some you know, older 74-year-old gay attorney in New Jersey and uh, Kai ended up beating him to death. So Kai employs, you know, one strategy in one situation, employs a different strategy in a different situation. There's interesting documentary about the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker, meaning Kai, that's just been released on Netflix. The day that we hit the man in the head with the hatchet, and in Kai's words, he's bragging. He says, oh, man, you know, this guy picks me up and I offer him a joint, and he can't even handle his shit, man, because, like, I handed him a joint, but what he didn't know was it was laced, man. And it was, and he starts listing all these drugs and I don't even know what they are. But what Kai explicitly told me was that he handed this man a laced joint and then Kai proceeds to tell me, then he starts flipping out over nothing because he can't handle his shit and he's- Okay, so the, the real story of Kai the Hitchhiker is a little bit different than that initial viral video. Living that life without those responsibilities and it was going well. And then, and it didn't. It's a much more sad existence. 
than maybe the exhilarating or free experience people think. Now this guy the hatchet wielding hitchhiker and internet sensation and he killed someone in New Jersey. Some uh, 74 year old attorney in New York City and posted this disturbing and um, ominous Facebook post. He talked about this being his Mother's Day message and it's not what you would expect from a Mother's Day message. It reads first memories I was in a crib and family was fussing over me but I kept getting told that quote I had a demon I would get locked in a room for 20 hours a day with a little porta potty camp toilet in the corner of the room then after that my mouth filled with hot pepper and soap for yelling fuck you at the top of my lungs signing off happy mother's day <laughs> and of course you know I remember when I met him for the first time after the original incident in Stockton, when we sat down for that lengthy interview, he definitely disclosed some really, really terrible things that happened to him. And So it's not clear if these terrible things that happened to him actually happened, but you know, this galvanizing, charismatic hitchhiker this morning in a New Jersey neighborhood as police tried to solve the killing of a well-known attorney. The 73-year-old victim was discovered inside his home on Starlight Drive in Clark. That's where Joseph Galfi lived for the past 15 years. A friend says something was wrong when Galfi didn't show up. Looking for someone that you've kind of grown to care about and you have a, a nice relationship with. Now they're looking, you know, at him for murder. On the May 14th, 2013, Kai posted this on Facebook. What would you do if you woke up with a groggy head, metallic taste in your mouth, in a stranger's house? Walk to the mirror and seen cum dripping from the side of your face, from your mouth, and started retching, realizing that someone had drugged, raped, and blown their fucking load in you. Then he had this ominous question at the end, what would you do? And I remember turning to my wife and being like, this guy just killed someone. Yeah, what would you do in that situation? My God. What a, what a horror show. So, yeah, wolf warrior diplomacy, right? Hatchet warrior diplomacy. Initially, he became famous for using his hatchet for good. And uh, then, then he got a second bout of fame for using his, his fist for evil. He just apparently stomped this 74-year-old gay attorney to death. So... It's the same with nation states, you know, cute and cuddly one minute. And uh, then when they have the power to throw their weight around, right, the, the cute and cuddly goes away and the bare fists and the weapons and the hatchets and the bombs start coming out. So I have been watching some Decoding the Gurus content. <laughs> My question, and the second I was, can pronounce Kurzgesagt is... as a shibboleth. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's the I believe that's the kind of immigration question when you arrive in Germany. But yeah, the I, and your shirt, just like the curiosity, that is a Snoopy shirt, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's... a list together. Come on, yeah, man, with get, the whole gang, get to the high quality content. I like that, yeah, I, I, I approve so reach easily reach you know pathological levels the only the only possible issue is that uh like i think that in most cases 
um, for something to reach like level of disorders or that kind of thing. It has to be interfering with your life, right? Like, so if you're yeah, extremely successful. <laughs> right. So you can believe many strange beliefs, all right? Weird beliefs, uh, conspiracy theories. It, it becomes pathological when it interferes with your life. Yeah. Because but, of your narcissism. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a two-sided story. It can be really helpful to have this single-minded approach to things. It's really a resource in many situations. And my yeah, point really and is the, not on to... The... My oh, point really is not to call anyone a, a narcissist. Uh, I hope I made that clear. <laughs> yeah. you, but I think, you know, I also say to Matt, like, and I think Matt also thinks this, in fact, I know he does, that, like, basically one of the, the key concept for understanding most of the people we cover is just to understand them as people with like huge reserves of narcissism because that often explains the behavior you know you know you might think well but i wouldn't do that or normal people like no normal people wouldn't do that but th these people are not in the same they don't think in the same way that most of uh average people do and for better or worse but i I think on the, the point about the, uh, the games people play and that I, I read that, I think, when I was a teenager and was uh, it was one of the initial books that got me interested in psychology because I, I recognized a whole bunch of the games that it outlined as like um, as as things that I did or other people do in my life. And I was like, oh, this is actually a you know very interesting analysis. But I also noticed, <laughs> I don't know if you, you had the same feeling with that book, but that book also presented many of these interactions as like kind of they are problematic and that we need to escape them and live like a game free life. And when they give the examples of what like a game free conversation looked like, it sounded like an insane cult member talking <laughs> to like because it, it, it felt a little bit like they were pointing out um, issues about like people saying something but they're actually doing a different thing underneath and getting another psychological need served but but it some of the things that they were highlighting were also kind of social niceties or like just conventions and the notion that you can have speech with those completely stripped out and and that will be more efficient i was like yeah i don't think that yeah. would work I think <laughs> this, the book is just important because they were the first person who looked at this in a way and defined the term i think it's not very scientific and it's really fun to read because it's like an alien looking at humans and yeah, talking like yeah. a sports commentator about their interaction. So, um, yeah, my other example would be more recent, but it's a German from Rainer Sachse. Who's like... So I'm coming to you live right now from Sydney, Australia. It is January the 11th here, 2023. It's 9.53 a.m. Like a psychologist specialized in this field and the whole thing and the sound. And I'm playing a discussion of Chris Kavanaugh here talking to supporters of his Decoding the Gurus podcast. And how they talk about it changed a lot compared so to 50 it, years ago. Are you like involved in psychology or that kind uh, of area? No, it's, um, I went to a talk. We have someone in Germany who is also related to like a German skeptic scene. And she's a forensic psychologist who gave a talk about psychopath uh, female psychopath and it was really gruesome and they didn't want to buy her book because it was just like 15 children died in the first chapter or something so thank you and i asked for something more theoretical and then she recommended me the 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 reiner sachse guy um mm. who is like a german expert for personality disorders oh, and so i read yeah. a textbook but i'm not an expert but i found and just this point 
um, if it's not and clinically relevant. Hang on a second. Personality styles. We've got uh, Elliot Blatt in the room. EB, what, what's going down, bro? Hey, uh, hey I'm going to try video on. Uh, we might have a little uh, technical issue here because I'm down at the beach and the connection's squirrely. So if uh, if I start losing uh, audio quality, let me know and I'll set the camera up. Okay, bro. I'm, I'm oh, down. I hear, I hear you I, got a story. I, well, yeah, I'll give you a story. I got to show you the view here first. Check this out. Oh, man. See this? Yeah. The storm just blew through. I've never seen a storm like that in my life. You know, it was really incredible. And then then the sun came out like a big bald head, like nothing had happened. Um, I mean, hail, just completely no visibility. It's like pitch black rain. It was just incredible. Um, so anyway, I came down to the beach to check it out. So, yeah, I had a pretty interesting story yesterday. Uh, shall I? Uh, please. Shall I rip in or what? Yeah, please. So, so, um, so we're on this conversation, you know, I was hemming and hawing about the um, nicotine gum. Yeah. Right. So, finally, uh, curiosity got the better of me, and I decided I needed to try nicotine gum. So, I went to Walgreens and I bought a little mini pack for $12, all right, just so I could sample it. And I took half a piece in the afternoon. And didn't notice anything immediately, but then subtly and imperceptibly, my mood just brightened to like this great degree. Like I'd been really kind of glum and lethargic and kind of depressed, you know, and just because of all the overcast weather and so forth. And then suddenly I just noticed like I felt happy again. And I was sort of thinking about jokes, making jokes and kind of just having a nice little internal monologue you know and so you know I, I was starting to become a fan of this gum you know so so that's just sort of a little predicate to what's to follow here um so i've been trying to buy this portable generator from this woman on craigslist for like three weeks right and it's like i send her an email and then she says, yeah, uh, I'm not around, but yeah, uh, let's get together. We'll do it, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then all right, I'm fine. So I just keep checking back email every five or six days. Sometimes she goes me. So finally, I get an email. Um, last week, she says she's on vacation, but she'll be ready to do this when she gets back uh, on Sunday and that we can do the deal on Monday, which was yesterday. So, um, so I'm, I'm happy about this. This is like this sort of dangling piece of business that's been out there. And I finally get to, how's my audio, by the way? How's my audio? Uh, it's not great. I think maybe it'd be best to uh, turn off the video. Uh, all right, all right. Okay. Is this any better? Yeah. We'll see. All right. So anyway. <clears throat> So we make this deal, meet me at the grocery outlet parking lot. Um, and she doesn't say cash only, right? Now, okay. normally when you do a Craigslist deal, part of the protocol is, do you accept Venmo? Or 
if you're selling something, you've got to clearly explicitly state cash only. Because most people just do Venmo or PayPal or something else. They don't they don't bother with cash, you know? It's just, it's not cool. It's day class A, you know? So my operating assumption is, well, I can just do Venmo. So, so we make this deal. We say, okay, we'll meet in the parking lot. And, and then I'm driving now. Now, remember, my, my senses are acute now because I'm, I'm, I'm chewing this gum, right? Yep. And I drive past the Bank of America and say, I said to myself, God, I really, I should just get cash. I'm having this feeling I should get cash. The thing costs $220, and I have $70 in my wallet, which isn't going to cut it. So I, I drive past the Bank of America and this feeling comes over me, stop and get cash, stop and get cash. You got to get cash, right? But that introduces the problem of parking. And I'll just, then I talk to myself, I'll stop at the next Bank of America, which I know I'll be passing because Bank of Americas are just littered throughout the city like cordwood, you know? Yep. You miss one, you got another one, you know? You don't really have to sweat it too much because there's always a Bank of America eventually. So no big deal. Um, so I'm supposed to meet her there at five o'clock, right? And I have about 45 minutes to get there. So, but it usually it takes 30 minutes to get there. So I've got basically a 15 minute cushion. So that, that leads me to think, well, I got, I got plenty of time to stop the bank. No big deal, bro. Just keep going. So, as it turns out, because of all these storms and things, roads are closed, traffic is building up here and there. The whole journey is taking a lot longer than anticipated, right? Yep. And I'm still not late, but I'm really eating into my 15-minute margin, right? Because I'm nothing if not punctual. Yep. Uh, so, I, so, the final Bank of America that I know exists prior to the grocery outlet is like two blocks from the grocery out. So it's like very close to where we're going. It's maybe three blocks. And so I pass this Bank of America. Now it's 4.55, five minutes until D-Day, you know, till, till I get, I'll be late. So I look, I, quit, I don't see any parking. And I say, ah, I'll blow it off. Forget about it. I don't need it. She'll take Venmo if I just... If I'm emphatic enough, she'll do it, right? And so I get there. Of course, I get there at 4.55. She's not there yet. And so, so I got five minutes to kill. So I go into this market. And the market, this is grocery outlet. Um, it's got like a security guard out front, right? Now, every, every place has got a security guard now. And the security guard is like this, this kind of fat Mexican guy with a black face mask and a big black sweater. But it's not like he doesn't, he's not a Navy SEAL. He's got this big, like, paunchy beer belt. It's kind of just suffocating his belt. So it sort of accentuates the roundness of his belly, you know? Yes. It just wasn't like, he wasn't intimidating, dude. He just was not intimidating. Black color, black outfit notwithstanding, he just wasn't intimidating. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is the new America. I'll just deal with it. Don't obsess, bro. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. So I kill five minutes. 
and I come out of the store. And then it's this comedy of areas. Are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Where are you? I don't know. Where are you? What color is your car? What color is your car? I'm in a silver truck. Okay, silver truck. Come up by the exit. So we do this whole comedy of errors thing, trying to find each other over text. And we finally find each other. And I, I come up to her. And she opens the back of her truck. And there it is, the generator, the as pictured in Craigslist. And I'm, uh, okay, I'm, I'm like, Let's do this deal. Now, then I said, um, I, I, I say, you don't take Venmo, do you? She says, no. And I said, and she said, no, like, you know that tone of voice people get when they're happy that they're saying no? Yep. You know, there's that certain personality type that likes to, like, uh, just to deny you what you want. They're, they're so happy they have the power to do it. And they're like, just gonna, it's just, it thrills them. Gives them a little sexual zip just by saying no, you know? And she said, no, she's got this scalp. She's got a total RBF. And I'm like, Ugh. you know what an RBF is, right? Uh, resting, resting bitch face. Yes, yes, good, good. I didn't know if that was uh, common nomenclature. And so I said, all right, well, uh, do you take PayPal? And she's like, no. And I go, how about Zelle? And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, my God. So there's no way you can do this. Not this one time. She's like, no. And I'm, um, so I'm like, all right. It's the Bank of America, two blocks away. I'll go back to the bank. I'll get out the cash. I'll come back and just wait right here. And... Um, no, I said, no, better yet. Why don't you drive over to my storage area, which is like three blocks away, and I'll meet you there. And begrudgingly, she does this. But she's acting like I'm really putting her out, you know? Like, I should have planned ahead. I should have planned better. This was my fault. She's mad at me. She's got all the power. And now, however charming I am, she's going to resist my charm and say no to everything, right? She just got this, we have this really, like, sadistic dominatrix relationship governing, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm saying, I right, just go there, go to the storage thing. I'm going to go to the bank and I'll get the cash and I'll meet you there. This whole thing, I'll be there in five minutes, right? And so I do this. I drive back to the bank and I get there and there's two things I noticed immediately. The ATM, there's two ATMs. One's inside the lobby. The other one's outside the, outside of the building. The one outside of the building is being completely dismantled and being worked on by like a Mexican handyman. He's doing all these repair work. So that ATM is completely out of commission. So, but I see that the bank employees are coming out for the evening. Now this is five, it's almost five o'clock. The bank closes at four. And so, but they basically, the whole banking staff was leaving together and they were being led by one guy that was, obviously the manager you know he had that manager vibe about him I and mean, they immediately picked him out as the leader as the as the alpha bank teller and so i come up to him and he's like this paunchy guy and you know it looks like he's into tolkien and he's got a neatly trimmed beard uh but it got a, he's got a gray sweater but also this big globular belly you know and i'm like all right what the fuck I know it's a long shot, but maybe he'll let me in the lobby. 
So I, I, I say, hey, man, uh, any chance you just let me slide into the lobby and uh, just use the ATM real quick and not just zip right out? You know, I, get, I, I got very colloquial with him thinking that, you know, he'd respond to that. And then he's like, oh, man, he really wanted to say yes, Luke. This is like the opposite of this woman, right? He's looking for a reason to say yes. And he's like, he's about to say yes, but then he says no. Because they, they audit everything. There's cameras. And if they, if they watch the tape and they see that I let you in there, it's going to be a big problem. And I can't let you do it. I'm sorry. So he was really upset. He was really like, it pained him to have to say no. So this is the contrast between the two here. And I'm like, fair enough. This is the new me. I just roll with stuff. You know, I don't freak out. I don't cause tantrums. I don't mace people. I'm not baked Alaska. I just roll the punches. I just go, I find another ATM. So I get back in the car and at first I text her because I know I'm going to piss her off because this is like another additional five minutes uh, of, of her waiting for me, right? And I say, I'll go to the gas station. There's an ATM in there. I get the cash there. It'll be five minutes delay. I text all this out. And uh, so I, I, be, I haul ass down to the gas station. I go into the building. It's one of those... Uh, gas station ATMs, and it's like $4 ATM fee. It's absurd, right? And this burns my ass to no end. I hate this so much, paying these exorbitant ATM fees at, at these gas stations. And you go in a gas station, you know, and it smells like fried chicken and like just just junk food. It's just not my, it's just not a positive environment. And uh, I'm uh, a little miffed about having to do this. So I I, uh, I go to the ATM, play my card, type in 200 bucks, and like it just starts waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm like, no, this is annoying. So bear in mind, there's been all of this network problem because of all of the, the storms, the downed trees, and network connectivity. You know, I'm thinking, oh, this is just another obstacle I'm having to deal with. And so... Eventually, it's like one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. It's like, you know, system processing. Please wait. System processing. Please wait. Over and over and over and over. And I'm like, okay, just come, be calm, be calm, be calm. And then finally, it says, transaction declined, system malfunctioning, something like that. Some sort of error like that. So I can't get cash out of this ATM. I've striked two, right? And like, I, I I talk to the people there, and then they've got they've got the soundtrack going in the um, in the in the gas station. And it, do you know that song by uh, I think it's uh, uh, Joni Mitchell or not Joni, but Judy Collins. You know, I thought about love this side down, up and down, and still I found. The love illusion, you know, that kind of, that song, it's from the 60s. It's a catchy tune, but it's being done by this sort of modern take, like this one of those shrieking Port, Puerto Rican like screaming ladies that, um, that that are popular on pop radio all of a sudden. So I'm listening to that and sort of smirking about this. I'm like, what are the chances of this song playing at a moment like this? And so I let that all go ahead because I have a I'm on a mission. I still have to get this cash. So now I have to drive past the storage area where the woman is waiting, right? With the woman with a generator. And so I have this choice. 
do I go to a third ATM and keep her waiting yet another five minutes, or do I go and talk to her and tell her what's going on? And um, maybe that would smooth things over because things are on a knife edge. These are just high, t- these are very tense situations going on here. And I, I'm going back and forth, but if I give her an opening, this will just be just what she needs to just do something really mean and bitchy to me, right? Or do I go to the, do I go to another convenience store, hope that ATM is working, get the cash out, come back, and then just deal with the outrage of me being like a lot longer than I said I would be. And so as I'm driving, immediately when things are going bad, you always make the wrong decision, right? When you're, when you're, when you're down, it just keeps getting worse. You can't make the right decision. So yeah. I decided to talk to her first. So I drove in, and there she was waiting, and she's steaming. I could tell, you know. The whole pickup truck is just fulminating and pulsating with anger, right? And I'm like, it's all right. I'm cool. I can smooth this over because I got nicotine gum. I'm at the top of my game. I'm going to just talk my way out of this situation. So I get to her. I roll down the window. I explain the whole situation. And she's not amused in the slightest, right? Not amused at all. And I'm like, well, listen, I still don't have the cash, but there's a third ATM possibility over here. Now, why don't we just unload the generator now so we don't have to double back, right? Then you can follow me to this third convenience store, this third ATM. I'll go in there, I'll get the cash, and then we'll be done with this thing. And she's like, what does she say, Luke? No way. No. She says no, Luke. She found yet another opportunity to say no. And, like, I started begging her. I'm basically reduced to begging this woman. Come oh, on, just do this. Just do that. I'm trying, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I want to plant my fist into her little Pillsbury Doughboy face right now. I'm so mad at this bitch, right? So but mad. You'd never know. But you're coming back so here right a thousand times if you have to. They don't do this to you. They don't do this to fucking me. <laughs> right? So, but you would never know from my exterior because I'm this like warm, sunny, bubbly, just enthusiastic personality, just raining down sunshine and an otherwise murky day. And like, just come on, let's just do this. Let's just efficient. And she's like, no, no, there's just too much risk involved. Uh, I, what if that ATM is broken? She's like, imagining all these scenarios. And I'm like, I just drove 45 minutes across town to consummate this deal, right? You've got to work with me just a little tiny bit, you know? I'm just thinking, I'm like, I'm psychically trying to convey this without, I'm screaming, but it's like a silent scream. I'm like trying to project this thought into her head telepathically because she was not responding to my words. And so she's like, no, 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 right? And I'm like, well, we're not going to be able to do this. And she's like, I don't have any more time. I have to go. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to blow this whole deal up? For five minutes, because I don't have any time, and we're, we're bickering about that. So we spent two minutes bickering about how much time she had left, and I was trying to explain to her, like, this could all be over in three minutes if she would just play ball a little bit, right? Um, no, she just stood, held her ground. I said, 
well, we'll have to do this another time then, won't we? And then, and I'm like, can we do this tomorrow? Meaning today. And she's like, guess what? No. No! She says no, Luke. She can't meet me until Thursday, right? So now I, you know, I'm like, how can this happen to me, Luke? What have I done? What am I doing wrong? So the deal didn't happen. I went home empty-handed yesterday after really leaving no stone unturned to try and to, to find a solution. Wait, wait, wait. And you I'm left just... many stones unturned. You weren't prepared. I mean, I would never have shown up for that without the, the money in cash. Really? That would in your first thought. You said, what if she's part of the 10% of people that only accept cash? I better stop at this bank and get cash. Yeah, I, I would have had cash. Well, lesson learned, because now that's the policy going forward. You have to plan for the worst case and just let life surprise you. Right? Let life surprise you when the worst case doesn't actually materialize. When so you, when you spend the, the evening with a woman and it comes time to pay up, do you, do you always pay cash or do you just Venmo? Oh, Venmo, bro. So anyway, then I spent a few minutes thinking about how just irrational and stupid this one was. And then I just started laughing, you know? Then I just think, this is life. This is why I don't leave the house. This is like, this is what the new America is. You just have to expect it. You have to operate from the, from the, from the, uh, the you're in a, you know, a semi-chaotic society. And if everything, anything goes right, you should be grateful for that, but just expecting to get wrong. And I don't, perhaps I'm reading too much into it, but. Wait, so you didn't, uh, you didn't learn from this that you should have shown up with, with cash and uh, probably left a little earlier because of all the, the storm disruptions. Yeah, I learned all that stuff. But yes, those are lessons. Those are the obvious sorts of lessons, right? But because your show is about the big question, the bigger picture. I'm trying to tie this into a more, you know, literary uh, theme here uh, about how how one navigates in the new America. Okay, and uh, how many how many sticks of nicotine gum have you had now? Well, so today, so yesterday, there's four milligrams in a uh, in a piece of gum. So yesterday, I did half a piece of gum, right? And then today I did a half, I did a half of one yet around lunchtime. And then I did, I just did another half of one. So I, I'm on four milligrams, but um, I'm a fan, Luke. I, I like this nicotine gum. I think it's a new way. It's an exalted way of living. That seems to work for Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Hey, look at his audience. Right. <laughs> so... So anyway, uh, I don't know, man. So um, yeah, is this just another habit? Oh, so by the way, okay, that's part. That was one story. The other part. So last Friday, I went to Costco. The same trip where I was looking at the nicotine gum, but didn't buy it. I also bought this giant jar of airborne gummies. Do you know what those are? Yes. Okay, so they're like these jelly 
fruit flavored candies, you know, but they have all kinds of um, cold medicine sort of infused into them. So that technically, you know, they're considered a medicine, but from all intent, the user experience of these things is like you're eating a big slobbery piece of candy, you know, a big jelly, tasty, fruity piece of candy like you used to eat when you were a child. And like, I really, um, I was really reluctant to do this, <laughs> but I had heard a long time ago that these things were possibly effective. And I don't know, after a weekend of eating these things on the hour, you know, a big part of my cold has disappeared, you know? Now, is it causation? Is it correlation? I don't know. But I'm a fan of these things. Now I'm I'm going to be a regular consumer of these things now. Um, so just another product endorsement, right? Yeah, I mean it sounds like your life's improving with nicotine and airborne gummy bears. Better having through chemistry, Luke. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, Laplania says this is why I like Elliot. It's all the seething rage just below the surface. Yes, but you'd never know it. Beneath the sunny exterior lies a nuclear core, this molten nuclear core of just frothing liquid heat. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, that's all I got. How are you dealing with all the storms and flooding? Oh, it's to me, it's it's majestic. I mean, it's like uh, it's a uh, it's like everyone turned the vibrancy and the contrast up on life. It's this just ongoing drama where danger lurks at every corner. Like there's trees, there's trees that have just fallen over like drunks, just not like they were broken off, but they just kind of fell over like they were like flagpoles in the ground and someone knocked them over. Like the roots are just completely exposed, but the tree is completely flat on the ground. Have you ever seen this? This is purely a California thing. This doesn't happen on the East Coast. Um, uh, and uh, the 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 environment is just electric. So these big storms will come, and there's there's thunder and lightning, which is really rare in California. And then this band of sun will come in for a few hours. So you get like rainbows, and um, uh, there's this just sweet smell in the air, and the sea is raging, and it's just, it's exciting. It's a great time to be alive. I love these storms. Yeah, yeah. As long as I'm dry and safe and don't have to travel, you know, I love I love them too. Yeah, you've seen the pictures, you know, the landslide yes. and the floods, and, and it's supposed to continue for another week. It's amazing, but uh, Southern California is going to get the brunt of the next round. Uh, so, when do you return? Uh, end of January. Oh, uh, so you'll have missed it. Are you on? Uh, are you on a floodplain in L.A. or you? Are you uh, safe? I- I'm safe, bro. Poor people live on yeah. floodplains. <laughs> That's right. They don't soar with the eagles in uh, Pico Robinson. You know? I live in the yeah. high ground of Pico Robinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, what is, I want to turn the camera back on so you can see some of this. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Let, let's try it. We'll see what happens. Let, let's live All much. Right. All right, here we go. All right. Can you see the bridge? Uh, you have to turn your camera on. Oh, it's not on? No. Oops. 
It is on. Oh, sorry, bro. All right. Well, it is on. Okay, it's probably on the set, right? There. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's that's spectacular. Yeah. And you can see like the see the clouds and then the mist. Oh, that's the Golden Gate? Is that the Golden Gate there? That's the Golden Gate, bro. The one and only. One of the wonders of the world, Luke. Oh, man. Doesn't it make it? Don't you get tings of nostalgia from your days with the 49ers? I do. I mean, that's that's gorgeous. Uh, Time for a swim? Uh, Those guys just went out. They're out there. You probably can't see them. But, like, three guys went out, which I told them they were crazy. Uh, But because not only... Are the waves big, but you get a lot of runoff into the ocean, and that water is not clean. Like, you know, yeah. water that's washed off the street. I don't, I, I don't want to, uh, 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 I wouldn't expose myself to that. But yeah, I'll give you the pan view. Like, there's a uh, um, Jack Dorsey lives up there, and um, uh, here's Mark. Hey, I'll show you this. See the orange house? Yes. That's Mark Benioff lives there. This is an elite neighborhood. Wow. with the Eagles. Bro. What's the name of the neighborhood? Seacliff. Seacliff. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's exciting, man. It's an exciting time to be alive. Thank you for sharing so, this. You're welcome, dude. Just, just another vicarious experience. Oh, look at this guy here. See this guy? Yeah. <laughs> See him? Yeah. Gonna take a leak behind the tree. Okay, you know, leave alone. Blend. <laughs> so, no cottaging on this on this yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, this is a no cottaging stream. That's right. Um. So, look at all this driftwood just everywhere. Um. I don't know. Sometimes you just things are better better left uncommented upon. Okay. I'll so let... anyway, dude, I think that's all right. Good to good to talk well, to you, we'll bro. We'll talk soon. That's good, man. All right, peace. See, all right, take care, bro. Take care. Okay. Um, you guys know about the Twitch streamer, my fan Amaranth. She now says her husband forces her to stream and uh, controls her finances. So I'm a couple of months old on this story. Popular Twitch streamer, OnlyFans, Karantha Amaranth, sending him passion tearful stream on saturday she's being manipulated and abused by her husband her real name is caitlin siragusa so she's always hitting the news for what's wrong with her life i'm living in a fancy prison she said on a live stream why did you say you were going to kill my dogs leave the house okay i can leave that you know what actually i don't i shouldn't leave the house because my dogs are here We'll take the dogs and leave. You're asking the question I'm telling you, and you're interrupting my fucking, uh, like, telling you. Literally. Literally. What are you saying? You just told me you were going to kill dogs if I didn't do a 24-hour stream. Nope. Did not say that. Now you're just fucking being a liar. I'm not. I said it. I said it. I'm going to tell you what I said in terms of the earlier. You're saying you did not say that. I tried to tell you what I heard from you. And you said you called me a liar. Then you tell me what did you say? What are you even talking about? You brought up the dogs out of nowhere. Exactly. So what? 
Oh, so this is Amaranth and uh, his part Steven two. told him that it's a form of like psychological abuse and that I'm basically living in a fancy prison and then he was changed for a bit and then the hot tub meta arose and he was like, oh, this is an opportunity and then he turned into an asshole again when I agreed to commit to the grind because it was a good financial opportunity for us. I've been wanting to tell people that Let's just stream together. Just tell them that we're fucking married. Because it's like, our relationship would be better if we just stream them. It's a fighting all the time. But no, Mr. I don't, I don't say that because it's going to run the business model. It's not time yet. Fuck yourself. I'm done with it. I'm not going to fuck you anymore. You don't want, you want me to tell them I'm single? It's about to be true, piece of shit. The therapist. Wow, she sounds upset. A million, and I'm going to take the rest because... I worked harder than you. It's like, and if you don't agree, then I'm gonna burn it all in court. I'm gonna put it all in fucking crypto. Just always threats, always threats. All the fucking accounts are like two factored under his number, and all the he has all the, like the login information of things. You know, it's like the keeps you there with the fear and the threats. And you fear that he's gonna do something to your animals, and then he's nice again and says that everything's gonna be okay. I'm going to leave you with one million and I'm going to take the rest because I worked harder than... So there are all sorts of very nice men who would have been happy to have married Amaranth. But uh, she wasn't interested in them. This was the type of guy that she's interested in. When I say plan, do it. Dumb fuck, do you understand like what plan you're talking about? It's like, fuck this, I'm calling you. So I disappeared from stream. Take your call. So I can't, I'm going to tell him I can't talk right now. We're getting Wi-Fi. I don't care. <laughs> You get the call now, last chance, about to dump your luggage, you know, from the, the, my hotel room. But throwing your stupid merch off the balcony, proceeding to ditch your stuff, you don't need the makeup or, th or the, the live view, like the stream epic, or the clothes, huh? Deleting social media in one minute, buying options that expire and blasting the cash, about to shut down the bank account, your bank account too. Lag is terrible, stream is garbage. It's like... About to delete Twitter in 30 seconds. If you don't call me, your phone's literally off, right? I'm just like, it literally died. Gonna donate $250,000 to Polo Missy. It's like a bird sanctuary he likes. In the next two minutes, it's like the next time when I say plan, do it. Dumb fuck, do you understand? Like, what so sometimes I think that uh, live stream either attracts unhealthy people or exacerbates some, some tendencies that were lying latent. So let's get back to the academic perspective. Here's uh, Chris Kavanaugh having a chat with a nice man from Germany in the decoding the gurus genre. And because mm. it's this whole idea of a spectrum and before you have the um, distress or whatever you use, um, you can still play games without being pathologic in, in the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason. And I, I like, I do think, what Matt and I are doing, like hopefully without the the, the kind of weird alien anthropologist perspective, is like it, it is a bit like that though for those the guru's content, right? Because it's kind of like people don't really need to be explained in most cases why these people are appealing. Like people have they've got big audiences and people have hooked them out. But if you parachute in, it's often bewildering because there's all <laughs> this stuff going on and you're you're kind of like, like Scott Adams that thing always stuck to me like the so many weird little things he's up to and I, yeah. I don't know if you saw scott adams relatively recently had this thread about like you should kill your your children if they get addicted like if they can't if they 
if you try and they can't be weaned off the drug, the, the king, the, the correct thing to do is kill them. Did you? You didn't see this particular take, and like it, it was an extreme take that got him completely um, dunked on for good reason because he was advocating murder. <laughs> but but it it turned out like it was all connected to this. He had a stepson who recently died of addiction. Um, and they, you know, they tried to get him treatment or whatever, and they couldn't. And he had been the kind of like father figure raising him since he was a young boy. So he was obviously very badly affected by it. And he he'd done. I find that he'd done these live streams immediately after he found out the news, where he was kind of like breaking down, crying in the um, live stream with the you know the same kind of toxic audience that he has cultivated. Yeah, so you cultivate a particular audience, all right? I'd like to think that I've cultivated an erudite, you know, elevated uh, pro-social audience. And so I think I'm less likely, perhaps, than average to you know, be distressed by my, my audience. So w- what is someone like Amaranth, a Twitch star? What is she going to transition to? She, the, the normal thing would be for her to transition to being a married woman. But, you know, playing a single woman and prostituting yourself on OnlyFans has earned her millions of dollars. But the type of guy that you'll attract by doing so is uh, usually not the most elevated. The most elevated, the best men for her are going to be turned off because of her pornographic past. So we we often make these fairly dramatic decisions that then drastically reduce our options in life. So the very best men, again, have no interest in someone like Amaranth. Um, for his his like little Periscope feed or whatever. But you, so you could go and you could watch it, and it was like this weird kind of. It was like he very much needed that at that moment, in as much as you know he's kind of like lecturing the audience, and it it, it kind of it made me feel sorry for him. But like I know he's a I know he's a terrible person and a manipulative guru, but it was also like he seems to when he had a real moment of human tragedy and was at his like lowest, the, what he wanted to do was stream to his followers about it. And, you know, and then, yeah. So it's a, it's a, that, there's nothing necessarily maladaptive about wanting to stream to your followers, right? There are some things that are appropriate to stream on, right? Generally speaking, uh, seeking comfort for, for the death of a child, you would, would think for for a normal person that you would go elsewhere other than to your your social media crew. But if you want to explore ideas, if you do a stream that's primarily about ideas, events of the day, such as this one, then if you want to discuss and explore ideas, then turning to a live stream sounds ideal. If there was something that was personally distressing to me, the odds are about 100 to 1 that I would not primarily turn to a live stream to discuss them weird kind of symbiotic relationship i think that's there sometimes yeah i mean that's the thing i I mean i don't know well enough but for these people that they are like deeply deeply needy and they play all these games and do what they do to get to fill this uh, gap in a way to Mm. get the attention and yeah yeah. or affection or whatever it is uh, they want so yeah yeah it's i mean it's deeply tragic i mean also if i don't know right so if there's a massive hole in your soul live streaming's not gonna fill it right but if it's an addition 
to what's otherwise a life that's, that's working for you, then it can be an absolutely wonderful addition. Like I consider live streaming an addition to my life. So I'll sometimes go weeks with hardly doing any live streams because what's going on in my life is, is plenty sufficient. But if your life feels empty and purposeless and meaningless without live streaming, obviously there's something wrong. If you have read this book by Mary Trump, uh, which I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but like the way they describe the, the family and the parents' generation, that was really interesting. And like, like if you showed any sign of weakness, you would be like belittled and heaped further shame upon you. And yeah, I mean, that's like... Okay, talking about Mary Trump's book there about uh, Donald Trump. So Lex Friedman, all right, his specialty is apparently AI. And it sounds like he's, he's building a robot to love him. Emrose, I think, is also like semi-infamous for having interviews with people that are on the fringes and not really, you know, pushing back much. So, mm, mm, yeah. yeah, but a, but yeah. a genuine, like a genuine, very smart guy with very influential theories and stuff. So, no denying that. It just doesn't mean that they're you therefore have to assume that they're right about everything. Roger, no, especially, especially, and we're getting off topic here, but especially kind of in this latter part of their career, like a lot of the time with these hard sciences, yeah, they make, they, they do do genuinely amazing and important stuff, maybe, maybe aged up to 40 or something, right? And then, and then they sometimes can spend the next 20 or 30 years doing the circuits and writing increasingly hand wavy books. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So what about Lex? I would say, Lex, he didn't go into it in this content, but I think he does actually claim to have various, you know, like even that thing about the deep work, what he's up to, he's, he's very much <laughs> presenting it like he's, you know, he's working on revolutionizing various things like, and that... He's it, doing something amazing with that deep work. We don't know exactly yeah. what, but it's going to be big. Yeah, and it, like I think it might okay. be building a love AI, a love bot. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he's up to. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone, someone to love him. Just well, from not Matt. No more like you know, like in the Age of Ultron and Avengers, where they wanted to build a robot shield around the Earth. Lex wants to build a robot to hug us all, just to like wrap us all up in the warm blanket and tell us that we're you know we're all right. So yeah, so I'm putting him at three. Is that he didn't? I I. Didn't see a huge amount of it in this content, but I kind of sensed that, like an X month. Well, I didn't. Yeah. yeah so, right, Lex Friedman is his, his specialty is AI, right? So, and his, his philosophy of life is all about the love. So maybe Lex will combine love and AI and create a love robot. Like that does something with people, and yeah, they're very yeah. needy. And they're human and it's, yeah, I mean, I don't follow all the internet stuff. I mean, I listen to you guys, I listen to Jane, but I mean, it makes you also feel, I don't like how, how they're dehumanized often online because yeah, they are human as well. And they try to cope with life in a way and they are stuck in the solution they found, but it's not a, um, not a sustainable solution, how they deal with it. It doesn't make the problems go away, but like, yeah. 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 No, I, I force you to be philosophical, Tobias, but I, I appreciate the um uh I appreciate the, the feedback and yeah. it was constructive criticism. So uh, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Cheers for that. And uh, bye bye. Yeah. yeah. Ciao. So yeah, the um, <laughs> the I I shared Tobias's feeling that like it it's important to view the the gurus as like humans, and and there are people that seem to not remember that. But I I also like I felt this when we talked with Robert Wright um, and some other people that the insight that like you know Putin is a man or Brett has cereal in the morning or whatever it's it's like I know that I I know that and like that's that's not why. That's it's kind of in the vein, not you know, the, not as bad as this, but the, the kind of oh, Hitler was happy to be a vegetarian. It's like those are not the salient reasons that people are upset with him. That, that like, and the same thing applies with you know, uh, Brett or or Putin or Robert Wright, <laughs> all on different levels of um, disagreement. Um, so yeah, I, I there seems that's one thing that like I get frustrated at online is like the I think there is that kind of us system dynamic, like really hugely influential on Twitter and elsewhere, but but that thing that keeps getting packaged as insight that like the that people that you disagree with are humans. Like Trump is a human. Like I think I'm kind of like who who are the people that that is you know that blows their mind because it it seems to be it's, and it's something that in the heterodox here they really like to emphasize and I think that's why they end up to a large part so fixated on interpersonal relationships as this really important judge of character and it like unless you're planning to leave your children in the hands of those people for like an evening or something I don't think that's the best way to judge things because like that's the point is that people can be very nice and charming and um and also you know very decent to you but they could be advocating like anti-vaccine stuff or they could. Okay, that's uh, Chris Kavanaugh there from Decoding the Gurus uh, talking about, yeah, there, there's an element of commentary that always wants to emphasize, you know, the humanity of everybody and you know, where does that get you? All right, here's a little bit from Richard Spencer and company looking back at COVID. So this was recorded December 4th. Abortion, I would, I would give them that, but they want to do that anyway and they want to do that everywhere, but if you depopulated the planet, it's less consumers. Like this wages would fly up. Yeah, yeah, and it's the and the entire system. It's a system that's based on like consumerism and expanding goods and services. It's an infinite right. growth model, which isn't sustainable. It's not possible. Right. But that that's the entire neoliberal. Like the entire system is built on an infinite growth model. Therefore, we need more people to buy more goods and services. Therefore, we need more people. You know exactly. Yeah. I just, I just, couldn't, I was on the phone. I was just like, dude, are you serious? Like, what is going on here? Then I tried to explain to him. Like, he went to the whole COVID is a bioweapon, but yet it like Fauci engineered it purposely. And I'm like, dude, this makes no sense. I'm like, why would they engineer a quote bioweapon with such a shitty fatality rate? Number one. And number two, it's like, and to what, to destroy the economy, to like, to, to like give people gibs and get people used to getting gibs, like expand it. It just didn't make sense. I just, I just, yeah, I mean, what they said is that they, they want to, they, they engineered COVID and they want to keep the lockdown going endlessly, but that's, that's just been proven incorrect. You know, like, you know, it's like you had a hypothesis it has been proven incorrect. You know, like they clearly don't want to keep lockdowns going on forever. And I, I remember having these conversations with the group kind of before I got in Substack and that was when COVID was raging. Um, and uh, I, there was a little more, I, I felt a little more pushback, which is fine. I mean, I, I do think that like uh, needless to say, COVID policy was bad and deserving of criticism, but you know, no, no one was wacky or anything like that. Or if they were wacky, they, they realized they didn't want to bring it up with me. But, but like, there's a thesis that they want to keep you locked down forever, and they want to endlessly mask you, and they want to do whatever. And it's like that's been disproven. They yeah, don't want just, that. And plus, like now, COVID cases, the hospitals, you're starting to see COVID cases creep up with these various variants. Yes. I can't get into the technical scientific jargon, but some of these vaccines, with the way the cells are coded, they're like not as effective. Perhaps somebody yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong. So. Um, that's problematic, but still the whole neoliberal, it's like, even the way we operate in, even the way the United States operates in the Western world, it's like sort of, oh, it's your choice to mask. It's your yeah. choice to die or not. So there is no real, there is no real policy at like a social level to protect people. Not really, you know, right. yeah, not right. even ventilation in schools. So I know. would disagree slightly with Johnny. Hello, Richard. Hello, Johnny. Hey, Everybody else. I, I hey, can boss. hear 
Happy yeah. New Year. Um, in one in one respect, I'm obviously uh, very far from believing that uh, Fauci engineered COVID. But right. if I were to engineer a bioweapon, again, in retrospect, I mean, if you haven't done it and you haven't gone through, we, if we hadn't gone through COVID, I wouldn't have thought that way. But in retrospect, as you look at the effects of, of COVID on Western society specifically, uh, it would have been a perfect bioweapon, not in the sense, I mean, Johnny mentioned low mortality rate. Um, mm -hmm. And that's precisely, like if you look at um, infectious diseases with, with very high mortality rates, like Ebola, they cause yeah. very little damage. Even some of the, the flus in the past 20 years, they cause very little damage because high mortality rate means low transmission rate because you know you right. die before you get a chance to spread it to many people. So the societal effect is negligible. So Ebola was never a big deal. I mean, at, at best you'd have a village in Africa die out of it and you know, maybe two people before they gang up on it and, and isolate it and that's it. It's sort so, of a shitty way to go though, right? Ebola. It is true. What Boris is saying is, is true. It, it's a, um, I remember writing about this back in 2020 and it's, it's a delicate balance because if it, if the virus, I mean, the virus, many people don't consider a virus to be alive. In fact, I, I think it probably should be considered a life form, but so, but it, regardless, it, it undergoes evolution. And so it kind of, and so, you know, there are billions of viruses all around us right now, in fact, and they kind of so, you know, with that many, that great of numbers, you're going to kind of figure out this happy medium. And, and it is true. If, it, if it's too insanely severe, uh, it is not going to reproduce like all life forms. It wants to reproduce itself. And so there is a kind of natural tendency for it to, um, you know, do, do be just deadly enough, basically. Um, and if it's not right, if it's problematic enough, enough right? Yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it's too deadly, you wouldn't have the anti-vaxxer movement. You wouldn't have kind of the denial movement, people saying that it's something that shouldn't be taken seriously. You know, people would be basically of, of a single mind over it. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's bad. We need to nip it in the bud. What the precise reason why we had such a rift in our society, why, you know, half believe that it's, it's a big deal, and the other half believe it's something that was concocted in a lab, and it's not a big. Well, actually, it's interesting that we have the half that believes that it was bioengineered, and it's. it's a I would weapon. always point. I would always point yeah, this they, out. The exact right, same people who said, deal. who said, "Don't worry about it," also theorized that Kim Jong Un created it. Right, it's like exactly. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this is some pretty sharp analysis from from Richard. Yeah, it was engineered in a bio lab, and it's not a big deal. <laughs> we obsess over it, obsess over yeah. the Wuhan lab and all that stuff. So, yeah. so yeah. you oh have you have an, this incredible societal division that, that has happened in the past three years, precisely because the society couldn't agree on how bad it is and how you should deal with it. But and imagine Boris, the, if it was a serious bug. Imagine. Okay, and a little later in this uh, live stream, it sounds like uh, Richard is drinking pretty heavily. Um, and uh, I, I do think it is like, I don't, I mean, I, the supply chain stuff doesn't seem to be going away. Um, it, do, it does seem to have been like a permanent dislocation. Just shows how fragile our supply chains have become in this whole like same day delivery scheme we like live under now. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of scary, quite frankly, just from a national security standpoint. I mean, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I, I, I've heard rumblings too. I have a friend, not to get too doxy, but let's just say he's a mechanic for one of, let's just say he's a mechanic for, uh, yeah, he's a mechanic for the federal government, let's just say. And he mm -hmm. told me, he was like, we still, there are certain ball, ball, ball bearings and certain components they still can't get for some of the yeah. trucks and stuff. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how far out are we? He's like, yeah, dude, we still can't get it. We have to go overseas and they're backed up. And da -da 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 -da. I was like, wow. You know? Well, don't you think also, and I think this is generally a good thing. Don't you think that like a real decoupling with China started with COVID or, or was catalyzed by COVID or accelerated by COVID? So I think like so. for I instance, think. yeah, I mean like for, for instance, last night um, I went uh, to this kind of like New Year's Eve kind of downtown Whitefish party thing where they had like a dance you know, floor and all this kind of stuff. And I, I just, uh, my uh, friend and I, we, we were just talking, there's this kid at the bar who we just struck up a conversation with and he's like 23 years old and he's working for Applied Materials 
which has a branch um, not too far away from Whitefish, believe it or not. Uh, there was a, a manufacturing center there, and I think Applied Materials bought it up. And so they are do, making machines that make machines or something like this. Uh, but it is, um, he was explaining it to me. Granted, I was, you know, drinking fairly heavily, so I might have forgotten most of it. But um, really fascinating stuff, just like the level of pre precision down to the atom. And, you know, I, I found it fascinating. He was this young kind of energetic kid. Um, but, you know, he was, we were talking about the CHIP Act and he was like, well, you know, I'm a big libertarian Republican, but, you know, the CHIP Act was good, you know, and um, that was a major, that is a major thing. I mean, that's probably going to bring a, at least a few billion to this valley um, for, you know, just to, for an instance among many um, and over the course of, of, of a decade or so. I mean, it, it's a major thing. It is a definite attempt to like bring what was offshored here in the United States. And, you know, even the lab leak theory, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm fairly agnostic on this. I, uh, I have read um, the, uh, some of the major works on this and I'm pretty much, I find, that, I find them convincing. I mean, I, or at least compelling. I, I, I am not gonna say anything definitive or not, but the lab leak theory was endorsed by someone in government. Um, I, think it I think it might've been the Surgeon General who said, I'm speaking here as an individual and this is speculative, but I endorse the lab leak theory. Now, Fauci has not, and Fauci might, you know, Rand Paul is not entirely wrong going after Fauci for the uh, gain of function stuff that was being funded um, by the U.S. government, but anyway, National, National Institute of Health. But, you know, I, I, even that kind of adds to the decoupling. You know, there's, there's the Taiwan situation. There's, it, it seemed to, and the U.S. media portrayed China in these massive lockdowns as fairly grotesque and heavy handed. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, the great reset, it's like, what is that exactly? Like, what, what is it really? What not, don't, don't listen to all these conspiracy theorists and stuff like this. It might very well be something that I, for one, completely adorse, endorse, and I think most conservatives would endorse, and that is a slow decoupling from China. So, um, you know, I think Richard, it might be a good thing. Yeah. That's interesting you brought that up. I totally agree. But to bring back, Matt, just, just to give you an example, I'm here in Italy with my family, visiting my family. And to eat okay, so decoupling from China and reassuring American jobs was, was started approximately four years before COVID hit. It's just accelerated since COVID. So we are reassuring millions of jobs because with America's manufacturing and technological prowess, it is now frequently cheaper to manufacture in the United States than overseas. You don't have to deal with all the storm and drang of supply chains. So we are reassuring jobs and we are steadily decoupling from China uh, Apple makers of the iPhone simply decoupling from from China, right? Let's go back to Chris Cavanaugh here from Decoding the Goose. Oh, so Richard, generally speaking, he sounds a lot more sober than he did 2014 to 2018, but he he calls himself a functioning alcoholic, and sounds like he still drinks heavily at times. Could be you know promoting right wing figures, and um, this this comes up with like uh, Chris Williamson. <laughs> For example, because we got on quite well with him in the interview that we did with him, and, and subsequently we are still in, in contact with him. And if you look at his output, you know it's quite. It would be somewhat disappointing from what you saw in the interview. But like in the interview, I also feel like it was pretty clear that Chris is a is somebody that is strongly focused on metrics and growing his channel, and you know, and has a men's health kind of primary focus to his output. So it would have been naive to expect that he would have a conversation with us and then we completely shift his output. And um, yeah, so like I, I. So Chris Williamson. Who the heck is that? Well, this is the bloke that I was playing a little earlier where he was interviewing interviewing a Harvard professor about you know, how do women compete when, when it comes to mates. 
right? So they, they tend to be right a, a lot nicer ostensibly than men. But how do women compete for partners? This is Joyce Benenson of Harvard, and this is Chris Williamson's show here. If you look across a lot of primate species, males always are trying to be better than one another because they get more mating success. So whoever's on top gets to mate with the most females and they leave their genes and those genes are trying to get to the top. So that's what gets left across primates. There, there's almost no exceptions to that. I mean, there's very many different kinds of social organizations and, and so forth, but that's how it goes. For females, it's quite different because there's two societies that um, cause very different effects in females. In one, you live with your kin for your whole life. That's fabulous. You have coalitions. You put down others who are not your kin. You put down lower ranked members of your kinship group and you have your allies for life. You're born. Okay, so that's uh, just a brief excerpt from Chris Williamson's podcast was being referenced there by Decoding the Gurus. He even appeared on Decoding the Gurus. He got right reply when he was being critiqued. So the, the gurus, a couple of, Decoding the Gurus are a couple of center-left academics, Matt Brown in central Queensland, Australia, and Chris Cavanaugh from Ireland, who now lives in Japan. I believe each of these two center-left academics are married to Japanese women. I think men's rights, <laughs> yes, fair point, Amr. Uh, really not just that, but like the, I mean, I, I think Douglas Murray or Michael Malice, like the insights that they have to offer, or even worse than that, Sargon of Picard, right, are, are not minor issues. Um, but, but it's also the case that, like, I think you have, you should notice that, like, interpersonal relationships skew how you react to things. And they do. Like, they will, they can blunt your criticism, they can make it hard to be cruel or, or like, um, critical. But it can also be the case that you can say, you know, look, we really like this person, but we really don't like what they do or what they think. And, like, you know, I think the conversation we, we have with Robert Wright was like that because we do like Bob, do think he's a reasonable person, but, like, Right. It's not easy to be, be fighting with the, the people that you live stream with. And so if you can't you know, criticize someone, all right, and, and maintain a friendship, then it's going to be very difficult to, to live stream with them. So generally speaking, I've kept some distance from the people I live stream with, and I, I very rarely brought friends onto a live stream. But if you do bring friends onto your live stream, then they have to be able to take the criticism. And if they can't take the criticism, then you have to either choose live streaming or, or friendship, but you can't do both. Like still just really widely disagree with his position on the Ukraine uh, conflict and, 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 and Taiwan and, and just in general. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Philip, what did you, perhaps idea can be insane even on normal humans. Yes, Mark, this is right. So normal humans can promote insane ideas. Um, people who don't know anything considered. Oh, yeah. So I, Philip um, Marklin. I don't know, is that how you pronounce your surname? You, you don't have the ability to respond, so I'll just, I'll bring it. Look, I got it right, see? Um, people today were talking about the parallels with Lab Leak and um, the 9-11 Truffer movement, which have been, I think, evident for quite a significant amount of time, but... Yeah, parallels between Lab Leak proponents and the 9-11 Truffer movement. Well, I always found the 9-11 Truffer movement absolutely absurd. Never gave it, like, three seconds of serious consideration. Uh, lab leak seems like a much more serious and, and possible hypothesis. So I don't see these similarities. I, I'm I'm also interested in the fact that uh, at the minute, you know, like when I saw the parallels with the lab leak movement oh, and 9-11 and other conspiracy movements, 
one one thing to me was like a sense of uh, oh no like because if you ever interacted with 9-11 truthers or climate change skeptics what they have is like an excess of will and energy to fixate on a topic and to make it like to make any and why do people have so much excess of will and energy to fixate on, on a topic like 9-11 truth uh, because they're losers right if they were normal healthy people gainfully employed with you know educations to pursue job skills to gain you know families to look after they wouldn't be so single-mindedly focused on 9-11 truth nonsense yeah. discussion of that topic painful because they will they have an endless reserve of energy for litigating the smallest details and same true with Rand Paul when Rand Paul no not Rand Paul Ron Paul when Ron Paul was running for the Republican nomination for US president you say anything mildly skeptical of, of Ron Paul and an entire posse would just descend on you so you know what kind of politician has such energized followers frequently Okay, frequently it's people who don't have much else going on for them. Even for litigating every detail that has already been um, debunked or whatever. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It will just be recited. And um, so when I seen that, I was kind of like, ah, oh, I don't want it. I don't want this again. I don't want like another endless threads about intelligent design or that kind of thing. And and that's where we are, right? Like that you see the people like Alejandros Marinos or even Alina Chan and that kind of thing that they are not saying they definitely would have been 9-11 truthers, but they all of the kind of approach is very similar. And it, it's interesting to me is like people like Philip um, and, and some of the other academics have, have remarkable levels of stamina for um, dealing with those people and Philip in particular you are somebody who goes relative, not relatively, you go very hard at times at people and it, 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 you're like painting a huge target <laughs> on yourself from that community. And I just, I am, oh, you're burned out. Well, that's, but you, I, I feel like you have taken the right angle recently because um, together with like Sam Gregson, like you have been doing the, um, podcasts and interviews with the other scientists and that to me seems like the ideal response because that's you having discussions with experts about those topics and addressing the things and the conspiracy theorists wing are not there they're not like invited to the table so they're only kind of they're, they're like seething on the outside that you are able to have these conversations especially with the people that they want to levy that they are all um you know, they were all secretly responsible for the pandemic and, and that kind of thing. And and I saw Brett. And... Okay, so there are these anti-Jewish flyers that uh, went up all over Claremont College. And the flyers contains a quote that uh, Al Goldstein gave to me. Al Goldstein back in 1998 told me the only reason that Jews are in pornography is that we think Christ sucks, Catholicism sucks. So Jewish on campus tweets, white supremacist organization distributed these flyers near Claremont College. While not on campus, these anti-Semitic flyers threaten the Jewish students who attend nearby. Anti-Semitic propaganda is dangerous and inflammatory to corporate. Well, that would be really helpful if, uh, if a Twitter account called Jews on Campus lets you know that this anti-Semitic propaganda is dangerous and 
inflammatory, don't fall for it. That that will really nip it in the bud. So we've got Gary Kremen here. So I know Gary Kremen well. I know Adam Glasser well. He he told me that he always preferred to hire Jews. Mike Kulik. So Mike Kulik is now dead, I believe, but uh, I know him fairly well. Nathan Abrams, an academic. I'm aware of him. Ron Jeremy. So apparently Ron Jeremy has such bad dementia that he's considered unfit for trial. I didn't see dementia when I was interacting with Ron Jeremy, talking to him up to 2007. Who else do we have on here? Uh, Ruben Sturman. I never met Ruben, but I know his son, David. Steve Ornstein. Steve Ornstein, founder of Wicked Video. So lightly affiliated Jew. I've spoken to Steve Ornstein many times. But uh, d does the Twitter account Jewish on campus really think that by letting people know that this anti-Semitic propaganda is dangerous and that people shouldn't fall for it, that a single mind will be changed? Uh, like occasionally when I haven't noticed what Brett and Eric Well, obviously that would make no sense, but maybe this is good to fundraise off. So I don't like the perspective, oh, people are stupid, they're doing something stupid. I want to try to find rational reasons behind what people are doing. So the rational reason is that they can fundraise, that they need to warn people about this dangerous propaganda. I'll just like, okay, I wonder what they've been doing recently. And I saw both of them were essentially, like Eric was implying that the CDC had lied to everyone and that he, he, he did these, this thing which he often does where he writes these really interminably long threads where the point that he's trying to make is really simple, but he casts it in the most obscure, jargon-filled way and the most roundabout way to say basic criticisms. And he he basically wanted to suggest that the CDC... I agree with Kavanaugh here in that one of the, the tip-offs that you're dealing with a, a slippery and untrustworthy character is when they use all sorts of fancy terminology and fancy words when simpler words would, would do. But when people invoke, you know, really big, fancy words unnecessarily, you're talking about people who are insecure about their intelligence level and who are trying to show off. And generally, these people are not so reliable. Had, you know, completely failed in its mission, and it seemed to be linked to that the the recent variants were not as, um, didn't have as bad an effect as some people had predicted, and this completely discredited the CDC or whatever, like, you know, some Barry Weinstein in take was like, okay, so Eric is attempting to discredit the CDC. What, what's Brett up to? And go across and he was suggesting that, um, like, Fauci and uh, Fauci through funding gain of, fun, gain of function experiments was responsible for um, a holocaust of lives and so on in the, the pandemic. So he, he was any reference to and that kind of thing. So, like, in his world, it is, it is kind of no established fact that the coronavirus came from a lab and that it was like directly linked to Fauci's uh, like allowing funding for things that, that fall under gain of function. So like, and, and Brett's mind works like that, like these little, you know, it's this evil guy Fauci that has become a villain on the right. So it's definitely him. And then it's this guy Danzig, like the, it, it, it has to be these kind of nefarious villains. And the interesting thing for me was that we talk about the Holocaust of lives, but Brett at the same time wants to say that basically all official statistics are unreliable, right? About how many deaths there've been and whatnot. And to the extent that basically he thinks all of the deaths attributed to the uh, virus have been overreported and that all of the deaths related to side effects from vaccines have been underreported or suppressed. So his, when he talked about the Holocaust of lives and the disruption of society, or whatever, I was kind of thinking like, you know, it's not consistent anyway, so it could easily just be invoking like convenient, like concept that is contradictory to his more general worldview. But I, I think that he was uh, wanting to endorse that people have died, but also like he coins within that, like deaths from vaccines and disruption to 
lives from lockdowns and that kind of thing. So when he's talking about you know the, the Holocaust caused by the COVID situation, it's not the, the kind of intuitive position that you might have about the millions of people that have died worldwide from COVID. I think it's more like he is thinking like if we had allowed people to um to provide ivermectin to everyone, that, that this wouldn't have been uh, a worldwide pandemic. The fact that like people were generally not prohibited from using ivermectin and then he did use it in in lots of countries, it doesn't matter. These kind of facts don't matter. Um, yeah. So the the Weinstein story, you know, as always. Yeah, live as much as ever make it much better when you keep it live on the air and with um, security goggles for for safety when you're going to break it up. Well, I agree here with Chris's analysis that uh, Eric and Brett Weinstein are just two of the worst pundits and secular gurus on on social media. Like cut up the dosage in half. So the Weinstein's as ever are just you know very unique people. Um, so so yeah. Uh, let me see, Philip. I'm gonna. I don't know if you're capable of. Um, so I'll invite you up anyway since I've talked around you. Um. <laughs> Oh, look, you have a, you're a proper podcaster. You have a high I, I, I'm not properly equipped after all the interviews. Actually, next Friday, I have another one. So, yeah, we, we switched, like you said, we switched uh, strategy because, I mean, arguing at some point is, you know, fruitless. And now what we do, we just go to all the people that are involved in the conspiracy and talk to them and then, you know, try to humanize them. So this was, we started switching, um, you know, um, what we wanted to do because clearly, you know, at some point, you know, all the other conspiracies, evidence doesn't change the fact anymore, right? People believe whatever they want and they will just make another epic cycle of conspiracy on top. So we decided to, you know what, we just, you know, we get in, we interview all these people. I mean, we've been in contact with them. I mean, there's some private chats going on that are hilarious. Uh, I had to stop now because it just takes so much out of my game. But if you're like, you know, on a on a on a signal chain with Angie and Stuart and and, and Christian, you know, they, they talk a lot of smack and they know exactly, you know, what losers the people are <laughs> that come at them. So it's like, well, it's the the thing about that is that you know, the for the people that are like the lovely people. They imagine those things exist, right? They imagine there's these back channels and there's these secret conversations yeah. where people are, but but like what their what their images versus the reality is is always so widely askew. Like they are imagining, you know, uh, Anderson and Fauci like kind of secretly plotting how are we going to convince the world uh, about yeah. things? And like, and if you if you have been an academic or whatever, like so whenever I see the email chains that people always get yeah. really exercised about, it's 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 exact same with the climate change things where like sometimes people have chosen like wording which is regrettable, right? Yeah. Or they used an offhand comment. But like the notion that so the, the Kevin Anderson one is the one that always comes up, right? Because he said mm-hmm. this looks uh yeah. artificial or whatever to me, and then mm-hmm. a couple of days later had had changed his position and people yeah. are like, it would be impossible for him to to review evidence and mm-hmm. change position and and, were, and then i was like why would that be impossible first of all it says in the very email something yeah like, but but we need to uh, run yeah, tests. yeah so that's that's funny because this exact email he writes you know um at, at first glance it looks like you know um, not what we would expect so we have to look at the lab leak so christian was concerned early that it could have been a lab leak right and then he said you know in the same email they quote out you know oh it looks you know um not consistent with evolutionary expectation but then he said you know but we are just at the beginning of it we're going to look at it and expect our minds to change uh, the, the more we learn in the same email but he never wrote this part they never, yeah and and also like this notion where he he had because they they also point out like how could you have your mind changed in a conversation like you know if yeah. if somebody doesn't provide and it's like it, i i listen to twiv and this is like listening to twiv this week in virology there's just there's such an obvious level of expertise right the foundational yeah. level because the way that people talk is they just talk in a way that like that i can't follow very often because they they share a baseline yes. of expertise and you, you can still see that like people get things wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes somebody will start talking and then the other one will say, 
know that's that how it works. <laughs> yeah, and I saw them discuss the furring cleavage site with someone who was yeah. like a specialist in furring cleavage sites, and they mm -hmm. they corrected all of the other experts about like how unexpected this was, and they were basically yeah. like, actually, we have seen stuff like this in x y and z cases yeah, yeah. right and you could see them reacting and being like oh that's really interesting actually i thought that was more novel and blah blah yeah. and that kind of conversation like the thing is it's readily accessible on twib you can listen Nobody to looks. experts <laughs> yeah but they the lab leakers kind of act like virologists could never do that like no no virologist could learn a new fact and be surprised by it and change their mind yeah. on the topic and and the guys on twib have like in you know lifetimes of careers in virology they're very smart people and they still like make mistakes or learn new things it's just like okay. yeah and and then kevin anderson not only that i know you know all this but okay twib he's referring to as the podcast this week in virology just say like he then was an author on a publication where he explained the the, the publication clearly outlines why he doesn't think it's an artificial um virus right Okay, so obviously the experts aren't always going to be right, but you probably should uh, you know, pay some attention, listen to them if you think you've got a revolutionary theory. All right, so experts aren't always right, but generally speaking, it pays to bet that way. So like, if you want to understand which evidence convinced them, there's yeah. a paper with his name on it exactly. saying, this is the evidence that convinced me. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really and and it's really like, you know, it's like with the climate change uh, conspiracies, right? They look at the paper, they, they quote pick, you know, a line out of it and then say, you know, this fundamentally destroys everything. It's like, it doesn't have the power, right? It's like, you know. It... Well, the climate is obviously changing. It's such a slippery, dishonest word, right? The climate is always changing, right? Nobody who's, you know, moderately intelligent can deny that the climate is changing, and it seems also fairly obvious that things that people have done over the past 300 years, that seems fairly obvious by the 1890s, that things that we're doing, such as putting increased carbon into the atmosphere, are affecting the climate. Now, climate is changing in many ways for the good, and in some ways it appears to be changing for the worse. But it's indisputable the climate is changing. I think it's fairly obvious that Things that people are doing, such as putting increased carbon into the atmosphere, are affecting the climate. But in many cases, the climate is being affected for the good. In certain realms, you'll now be able to grow crops that you couldn't before. Right? Overall, far more people die from cold than die from heat. So overall, if, if the planet warms, right, many parts of the planet will be better off. Some parts of the planet will be worse off. Overall, it depends on the situation pick a cherry pick result and it's like okay this is like everything is gonna crumble now or you know oh the paper changed changed the sentence from peer review to final publications you know because they, they wrote like 120 pages they had to reduce it down it's like ah they don't write you know this thing anymore and it's like yes it's the that's just in a supplementary because they had to reduce it down and it's like yeah oh. the, the wording changing from a preprint yeah. to a publication that was yeah. taken as like a huge smoking gun and i was like that you guys are insane that is mm -hmm. that is completely normal <laughs> it's a completely it's like standard that. thing and the other one that happened with that paper was, and you were directly involved with that, because the journalist, um, what's her name? Jane. Jane, Jane Q. Uh, Jane Q. Because yeah. she wrote a, like, uh, not, it wasn't even critical. It was just like offering, you know, like when, when they quote people in articles saying, yeah. however, 
some scientists disagree with. Are not convinced uh, because there's still some uncertainty, a very narrow uncertainty upstream, and you know some scientists would like to see more, so they don't, you know, exactly keep the mind open, basically. Yeah. So that, that's and, a normal thing, and yeah. like there was on Twitter, there was like some back and forth between Jane and like some of the authors, right? Yeah. And 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 there was like a little bit where she she might have accidentally or intentionally either way, but like implied that somebody wasn't very well qualified to like assess yeah. the. And, yeah. and that like ruffled fellows, but like this is this is all this is normal, right? Like yeah. this is a completely normal thing to happen that somebody covers something and the authors like think, oh, you're like you're suggesting there's more disagreement than there actually is, or whatever. And mm-hmm. and the science journalist being like, no, actually there are people that disagree, right? This is a normal thing. But the mm-hmm. lovely people were so mm-hmm. excited by that they were like, mm-hmm. hey, look, it's falling apart. Like <laughs> it's all falling apart. And it was not even a disagreement. I was just saying, you know, look, uh, um, you know, you if you wrote it in a certain way, it seemed like you know there's a bigger disagreement. It isn't. I, I was worried about false balancing, right? And and she said, look, I, I look very deeply. I talk to people, and this is their things. But you know, but the problem is, of course, when people take stuff out of context, right? She, it's very hard if you if you make a very nuanced argument, it's very difficult. And she made a nuanced argument, but of course, people did not jump on the nuanced argument. They jumped on the oh, look, she says there's some scientists that disagree, but what they disagreed about specifically was a very minor thing, which was like, you know, we have one study about two lineages and some people would like to have more evidence for that, not just modeling. And people like everything falls apart. And it's like, no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't do yeah. anything like that. So, yeah. And, this, and is, this gets weaponized online for like two say. spins and then suddenly you have, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of engagement from all the people, all the writing networks, basically. Now she's the hero there and she herself, right? Hey, the consensus is to not spill over everybody I talk to that to not spill over. What are you doing to me? And and it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible how you get abused. No matter what you write, you, you can get abused by motivated yeah, actors. Yeah. And like this is the, you know, there are characters on that network, some of whom are genuinely like there are people in the lab league just as there are in the 9-11 trooper community and so on who are genuinely pretty dark people like they'll they'll target people and like okay so who's more dark like who who targets you know more people is it is it the right or the left i'm not sure it certainly seems like on certain issues the the right wing distant right is is more dark in, in targeting and doxing and trying to destroy people and other issues it's the left I guess it all depends upon what issues you hold sacred. So apparently the United States Pentagon is rescinding its vaccine mandate. So I assume this is based on our evolving understanding of of medical science. So in retrospect, all those uh, vaccine mandates certainly set off a storm of opposition. Did they do much good? I'm skeptical of that. Yeah, they they regard you as being part of like something fundamentally evil and so it's legitimate for them to like try to find out details about your family or yeah to, i mean it's like and, and it's really scary actually because i mean i have no followers and still i had some people stalking me you know writing you know everybody that i was affiliated with you know that i'm a pedophile because i posted a picture of ice cream with my daughter it's like you know why you know it's like absurd okay so if you want to play in the public space all right there's going to be pushback that that's part of the price to pay for, for being public. So I don't want people to be nasty. I don't like the type of behavior they are just decrying. That is the price you pay for sticking your head above the parapet. Third, right? To the totally absurd things and they were following me around for like two days you know uh tagging me in every conversation harassing me you know calling me you yeah. know everything is like and, and i'm a nobody a freaking nobody imagine the people that are actually you know 
like virologist like Angela Rasmussen, who's also a female on top of that. I mean, she gets called, you know, an ugly fat whore that is compromised TCP shell, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, you know, I don't know. It's insane. And and then imagine the people that are actually involved in the conspiracy, like Dashek, right? It's like it's it's absurd yeah, there's a, dynamics. There's an there's an interesting thing because like what you like there are ways that are pretty well set out about how to harass people online yeah. and like one way to do it is like to to tag them and employers and that yeah. kind of thing and to yes. because like if you create hassle for people in most cases like you know it was stop engaging yeah so i would think that the happier someone is the less likely they are to engage in this horrible behavior just described so generally speaking Marginalized people are attracted to marginalized movements. People in marginalized movements are enjoying or suffering from uh, an excess of spare time, whether you're marginalized on the right or the left. And so because you've got so much spare time, because your, your ties with, with normal human connection are so frayed, right? because you're a marginalized person to begin with, your, your whole unreality is you know, shaky. So... The more marginalized the person, right, the more likely they are to engage in this horrible behavior. And also, they, they like their employment thing or whatever. Those people aren't online, right? So, like, yeah. if you can organize email campaigns or whatever to people's like mm-hmm. um, employment yes. address, you can create genuine difficulties with like fairly minimum uh, like effort. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and and like in my case, I had this one there was a japanese account which kind of followed me and it was interesting because it's one of the few accounts that like just wrote to me in japanese right yeah. and it, it got no engagement but mm-hmm. and it, it was called something like it was called something like i'm a japanese troll yeah. <laughs> right and it it was like a very also weird account that was like highly into idw stuff in mm-hmm. japan which is weird um That's in weird, japan yeah. but but I, I i like kind of enjoyed it from an anthropological mm-hmm. perspective because it was just like okay there's this there's this kind of weird Japanese account, which is into all the mm-hmm. stuff, knows about James Lindsay and stuff, but um, it kind of follows around. But that account, uh, in part because it's Japanese, like could easily locate my kind of uh, yeah, yeah like, work address and yeah, and then yeah. like start at one point when like ever I said something that annoyed it or whatever, started like uh, yeah. you know sending send your emails to this department and yeah. thing, and like nobody was paying attention, but it was just kind of like okay, like that's not that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you don't do that because like why and it, it was it wasn't it was over some very i can't remember what the minor thing was you know i wrote something too critical of peter Bogosian or whatever yeah. right like you know yeah. it, it was a very stupid thing but you're mm-hmm. just like mm, these kind of things can really uh yeah. trigger people so what, I, what i noticed actually so there's always a certain amount of crazy people online right this is this is normal but you know there are some people that especially in the lab because like i met ridley or lena chan that purposefully you know you know quote something out of it for people to get arrested. so if you criticize them then they quote tweet something out and then they say you know ah, oh, this person you know is a liar they did it to everybody and then they know because then they know that all these trolls will have a target right and they and then they go for you so they don't you never will see a med ridley you know write something on toward or Lena chan but what we do they endorse and they amplify all the people that are harassing their critics. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is really like, this is, this is so, I, I was not aware of that before, before I got involved in this thing. Well, the more you feel like you're at war, then the more okay you're going to be with people on your side doing heinous things. This really has a chilling effect. I mean, most scientists don't want to get involved in that. 
Oh, so there are no chilling effects from left-wing activism for right-wing scholarship, right? There's, these guys live in such a bubble, they only see things from, you know, one narrow partisan perspective, right? The genetic basis of crime, right? What role do genetics play in, in the committing of crime, right? You can't, you can't get funding for that. You can't pursue research on that. Uh, IQ and group differences be very difficult to get funding on that or to pursue that as an academic career. So all sorts of right-wing forms of scholarship get, get squashed immediately. Absolutely no chance because of left-wing harassment. That's kind of shit because not every time, you know, you say, hey, hey, look, what you're writing is not true. It's different. You don't want to, you know, expose yourself to suddenly for 48 hours, get hundreds of messages from people harassing you. And, you know, maybe you do that once or twice, but after that, you're like, okay, I'm out. I'm not going to do Twitter anymore. Okay, getting hundreds of messages, if, if that, that's not such a big deal, right? If uh, people, you know, show up to your workplace or to your home or to your house of worship and badger you and harass you and threaten you, right, that's more severe. Right? Just receiving hundreds of messages doesn't strike me as such a big deal. I have better things to do with my life. And then you concede the space, right? They heckle you out of the conversation. And then online, it's like, then they are free to spend their lives. They say, oh, it was never investigated, you know. It was yeah, the, this uh, misaligned agent says, whoa, I thought these guys were right-wing judging by what they were complaining about. But no, these are a couple of uh, left-wing academics complaining about right-wing trolls. But just as many people on the right have reason to complain about left-wing activists trying to shut down their scholarship and investigation. It was all covered up. And, and if there's no counter-speech, if there's no pushback, they won. And so it's very difficult, actually, to... Yeah, these are left-wing guys. One's an academic, one I'm not sure... And uh, they're complaining about uh, skepticism of lab leak hypothesis for the origins of COVID, uh, resulting in tremendous harassment for people who are skeptical of that hypothesis from harassment from people overwhelmingly on the right. To keep in there and keep yeah. your, your sanity, right? And all of us, I mean, uh, Stuart Neal and Angela Rasmussen, we are very stubborn people and we still, you know, kind of found each other by being harassed and, and supporting each other because then it's a bit easier when you see, ah, it happens to all of them. It's not something that I did particularly wrong, right? So it's something a semantic really, thing. Yeah. yeah, something that's, I mean, I totally get that. And I, I, you're completely right about the, like, one, that tactic of, like, quote, tweeting people to, to encourage pylons. And, like, I also think that an even more, one more step, which I consider, like, intelligent but like also reprehensible is that there is this thing which sometimes people do where they kind of um they make a thread for example saying that people shouldn't harass people mm -hmm. on their behalf but the way that they use the language and the and also the infrequency of that message yeah. Yeah. is such that like they can take be seen to be taking a public stance which is like above it all and wash mm -hmm. their hands of it yeah. but they're they're actually like doing a very bare minimum and then they're, they're not doing like if you wanted to for example really do that you could do something like okay so if people do horrible things in the name of what you believe that says absolutely nothing about whether or not what you believe is true but you do have to take it into account and generally speaking if someone like goes out there and commits some heinous massacre you do have to think twice before you use the same or similar rhetoric to what he was using. So that's part of reality. You have to take it into account, not in terms of the truth or the goodness of what you believe, but in terms of how it comes across. Like how something comes across is an important part of the equation. 
how something comes across has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not what you believe is true or good, but it has something to do with the atmosphere and the society that we live in. Directly say, I don't, anybody, you know, doing this yeah. and this, I'm yeah. not going to accept that. And I'm going to call it out on my account, right? Like that exactly. would be showing that you, you know, that you, you're interested in this topic, but like, you're not going to accept people being harassed, but they, they mm -hmm. don't do that. <laughs> and, yeah, then... and on top of that, it's also right. They, it's not even that, you know, they, they don't discard it. They, they actively encourage it. Right. I mean, and, and they know the people they encourage it. It's not just, ah, they, they just, you know, amplify any leveling, you know, think it's, they amplify people that, you know, specifically target their critics. And also, I mean, those people, they, they, that they push, they are not just lab leakers. They are, you know, 9-11 truthers, climate change deniers. It's the whole package, right? And they know, I mean, I would never follow a person like that. I would never amplify a person like that. Like, and they, so if you have beliefs that marginalized people kind of seize on and take to absurd lengths, then if, if your, your beliefs that you're articulating publicly and being frequently misused and people use, use them to you know, go off the rails, then you have to reconsider how you phrase things and the relative importance and the frequency and the intensity with which you state these beliefs. But of course, it has absolutely nothing to do with whether your beliefs are right or wrong. Just they don't care as long as it's, you know, they're, as long as they're on their side, they're going to, they're going to keep pushing and then shutting people down. And this is super unethical because even when I, I wrote one article that was a bit critical of, of, uh, so that named people, usually I never name people, this is not my style, but I would one where specifically I said, look, these are the tactics people use. And I used some tweets to show this is how they do it. And then, you know, I made very sure in the article, at the end of the article, and when I posted it to say, look, I'm not advocating to harass those people. I'm not supporting of that. I don't want to create pylons. We have to be very careful when we name people not to create pylons. And all I want people is to not ignore them and mute them and never, you know, write anything, don't amplify them, don't do anything. And this is, I think, then fair to say, but I've never seen this experience in the opposite way. It's always like, you know, you know, you criticized Elena Chan, you know, you're free, you're free to, to. Okay. That's nonsense that people on the right never, you know, urge their followers to behave with civility. Be shot on the street. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Thank and you very much. There's a, there is an interesting thing in her case specifically where um, I did see that um, when she did make some thread, basically uh, that was, that was slightly more direct than her previous ones had been. And mm -hmm. she said, I think she was basically saying, like, it might have even been directed at you. Like, don't spend time with Philip Markelin and uh, anymore. Like, these people aren't worth our time. And that seemed to actually have a significant effect for, like, people saying, okay, I'm not going to follow these. Like, this guy isn't worth. I was like, wow, it's literally like if she says, yes. you know, don't do that. The, the level so, of. You know why she wrote it? Because I luckily had a support network of people coming and saying, Alina Chan, are you really endorsing? Because this was one of the things where all the cra crazy trolls on her demand started attacking me as a sexist because she's so I'm kind okay. of, That's you know, possible. like, I, I, she's going to be a movie star. I prefer just, even though I, I now know that and it's going to influence, I'm just going to pretend I don't know that because like, I, I even, I much prefer when I naively believe that people are just, you know that they're, they're ideologically invested in something like it's yeah. a better world where that is motivation and like it it, it doesn't mm -hmm. come down to i know that so these are people on the left so they have had time with the with the nasty nasty facts of, of human nature people on the left tend to believe that people are basically good and then society corrupts them people on the right believe that people are basically not good and society to varying effects helps to make people better 
So I'm obviously on the right. I believe that people are born deeply, deeply flawed, and that family, community, and society tends to make people better. There are all these, you know, like it's the same as like the Weinstein's get like yeah. money, right, from exactly. Uh, their takes, but like I, I'm just gonna ignore that and assume that everybody's acting out of like. I, I think I think you know it's it's kind of an enforcing mechanism for their own beliefs, right? It's not that they don't necessarily believe what they are selling. I don't think they are necessarily that cynical. It's just that when do you see you get so much love, you get so much attention, you get so much money from what you're doing, you better you know start convincing. Right. If your income, if your status, if if the love that you're receiving depends upon you believing and articulating certain things, it verges on the impossible. You to stop believing and, and saying the things that are bringing you income, status, and love. Seeing yourself that you actually believe, in, uh, you know, what you claim to be believing, right? And I, I think this is just a very strong mechanism. I, I, you know, if your whole, and also you have to think that these people, they live in a different echo chamber, they live in a different reality. So for them, they are winning and they are right all the time because yeah, clearly yeah. their money keeps increasing, their followers keep increasing, and all the information they see is shared from this circle. So it looks like the media is going all in promoting the Ron DeSantis campaign. It, it's interesting how little negative stuff that the news media is publishing about Ron DeSantis these days. It, it feels like the media is pretty sure that uh, a good, strong Ron DeSantis campaign would be absolutely stake in the heart for Donald Trump and his chances of being elected president of the United States. So we're getting very sanitized, selective, uh, positive coverage of, of Ron DeSantis. Then as soon as Ron DeSantis is the presumptive Republican nominee, then the, the media will shift again, I suspect, and we'll just get a whole slew of negative stories about Ron DeSantis. Circle of followers that believe what they believe. So for them, it really seems like, you know, for Brett Weinstein, I'm certain that he lives in a reality where he was proven right again and again. Yeah, he's it's very easy to, and yeah, it's very easy to believe that he's been vindicated on everything. The world is waking up to his genius. Uh, you know, especially if you are so narcissistic in the first place, this is, you know, it's a drug. There is no way you can, you can withstand it if you have these personality yeah. traits. But even people that don't necessarily have such strong narcissism, I'm pretty sure it's something that gets to your head. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not on, it's, yeah. It, no, it definitely does. And yeah, it is. And and Tobias was asking like whether the lab like is still a big topic. And I think it's a legitimate question because like it, it has escaped out of the, you know, it was for a while like a, a mainstream. And the chat said what would happen if these two guys said something negative about COVID vaccines, right? Or what would happen if they said anything that transgressed against the egalitarian, you know, secular left wing world outlook if they said, oh, we should investigate the genetic uh, influence on, on crime, or we should discuss and we should be able to freely talk about group differences in IQ, group differences in uh, educational attainment, group differences in work attainment, group differences in, in spending and earning and saving, uh, group differences in how much your group pays into the tax base versus how much it takes out in social welfare spending. Right, they would get absolutely crushed. Weird how on the right, you have a lot of people who don't believe in evolution, yet they're far more realistic about human nature. Yeah, how can the left be so naive about human nature when they believe we're all animals? That's a great question. media focused, but I think yeah. now it's become pretty much the pattern that it will be in for the next couple of years, which is like a topic that reemerges every so often when somebody writes a contrarian article uh, mm -hmm. or 
the lab leak movement um gets an, a, a journal article through or something mm -hmm. like that happens so okay. i i think i disagree with that a bit because uh i think lab leak has reached a prominence in the us so worldwide i agree lab leak worldwide doesn't play a role most countries in the german speaking sphere nobody cares about lab leak in brazil uh, portuguese speaking sphere, nobody cares in japanese probably nobody cares but no cares. in in u.s domestic politics i mean if the gop takes the house they will start subpoenaing people i know that the people already are you know they have to show up to which trials in front of congress in order to leverage this lab speak conservatism for political gains right and so it, it's gonna get worse at least for the domestic market in the u.s it's gonna get worse um and it's gonna be more prominent because it's gonna be this huge thing where they can you know get attention for uh, attacking scientists and you know making making this witch hunt this mccarthyist style witch hunt so yeah um that's it's one philip you're probably right which is extremely depressing but like i i think you're much more likely to be uh correct when you make that kind of prediction but the mm -hmm. other thing that's interesting to me is like it's, so the parallels with like climate change are very obvious right but the thing which is a bit different to me is like and it shows it like an actual shift is that you could view this in a way like 9-11 trooper stuff right and 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 i think that the 9-11 trooper stuff even though it did have support from some like fringe yeah. figures in in the political world it was always kept at arm's length right yes. and and like getting involved in it was seen as like unseemly and, and yes. discrediting mm -hmm. um but now that's not the case <laughs> right like you yeah involvement in conspiracy communities is very much part and parcel of like the modern uh like GOP, GOP. yeah so that's, that is the thing right yeah it's like the for whatever reason i guess it has to do with the attention economy so this is something that i've been trying to work on now for a long time and writing this article that will never finish is about you know how what what are these matter phenomena these, these emergent meta phenomena that arise when you have attention economy and it also expands beyond social media social media is very much like you know the avant-garde to a certain extent a fully driven attention economy system but it's not that mainstream media is not you know doing the same thing anymore if you look at the fox news it's as terrible or the worst than most of social media is right so it's it's like it swapped over these dynamics that you know developed out of social media they they swapped over into the whole infosphere and then now you cannot separate them anymore because information the way our information goes nowadays it's a mix between you know bloggers between you know um, uh, mainstream media between journalists it's all kind of a connected mess and and so it's you know once you have this attention starts to bring it back to the conspiracies once you have this attention mechanisms in place in the whole media landscape then whatever brings you the attention will bring you the votes will bring you you know will bring you the the, the 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 people and so obviously because conspiracy theories take up so much attention one party has to claim it for themselves in order to to get people right and and in, in the us we see clearly that this is the gp they are on board with all the conspiracies right with the election deal with Okay, so he doesn't talk about uh, structural racism. It's a conspiracy theory on the left. He doesn't talk about these left-wing conspiracy theories, uh, the nonsense that human beings are born basically good and that uh, everyone's basically born a blank slate, right? These guys don't uh, touch left-wing conspiracy theories. With, you know, climate change uh, denial, with um, anti-vaccine, of course, I mean... It's not that these things don't happen. I mean, also in, in Austria, where I'm originally from, we also had one far-right party that adopted the anti-vaccine platform to get to people. But, you know, in a two-party system, it's a very different story because suddenly you get you get way more power than just running on one or the other conspiracy in this case. Yeah, why would a party you know, run on a platform being anti-vaccines? it have a lot to do with vaccine mandates, right? That provokes an enormous backlash and 
it wasn't like that these you know right wing parties just seized on anti vax by accident or there was a long running part of their platform. It was the situation of increasing and more rigorous and onerous vaccine mandates that precipitated you know a backlash in you know anti vaccine activism. You run, you know, you already have a pretty clear split, and suddenly you take all the insane people on your side. Maybe you're going to win because of that. So. Well, this is like so. Max is saying this is depressing and and like ways to fix it. And I think there are like you know positive things. That, but um, the one thing that I will say, like switching the topic, I think because it's like it's slightly optimistic um or mm -hmm. positive, and there's rarely wins when it comes to dealing with like conspiracy theories and gurus. Um, the Alex Jones trial, Philip. Yeah, that was good. Uh, um, and so first of all, there was like the settlement, right, which was. Mm -hmm. in excess of 50 million dollars which is a not insignificant amount of course he'll contest that or try to but he's basically freaked up that trial so much that um he's and, and by the way philip if you need to against the notes i have no idea what to do in the same sphere so if you don't go against the note of yeah. the network i have no idea that's a that's a uh a, a, a kind of it's not depressing philip that's a like a a, a uh what's that word Mm, I it's it's just giving me at this hour, but like a productive piece of advice about how to combat yeah. this information. And uh, yeah, and I, I'm going to lay claim that we play a small part in doing that on the podcast. Yes, so so this is this is something that I <laughs> that I always appreciated. I mean, I wasn't aware of you for a long time uh, because I, I was late to the party. But but this is like and also what what, what me and, and Sam are doing and what I see many other uh, debunked funk and all the other people are doing. It's like we're a bit of the you know the late adaptive immune system to the poisoning of the infosphere, right? It's like we are like okay, we are trying to do something in response to that. It's like you know we see everything is falling apart. And like okay, let's do something. And, and I think you you you're very successful at it. And um, also I think debunked funk is growing more. So it's just, there is some need and i think people are realizing there is a need to to you know boost the immune system but it's we cannot do it by ourselves i have no illusion that you know good speech cannot you know counteract what's going on there counter speech cannot solve the problems here because there is just an asymmetric disadvantage it's so easy to lie it's so much more energy to debunk um you know you can you can constantly like bad stats is doing against <laughs> brett weinstein you can constantly keep nagging at brett or it can be the anti-brett but how much time and energy does he spread uh, does he spend and how much does he really slow down the Brad Weinstein, right? It's like, it's yeah. hopeless if there's no, you know, we, we might delay the inevitable, but if there's nothing else coming, uh, we are still gonna, uh, the body of the infodemic is still gonna succumb to the viral influencers. So <laughs> we have to, yeah, we have to, we, have, we need some other interventions. I, I, I think this is right. And I like, I kind of feel like this is why it's useful to look at like techniques and stuff. I mean, obviously I'm biased in this respect, but I, I, I think that you can't once you start recognizing patterns in the way that people construct arguments and so on you yeah. you see them right like yes. it's and it, and it doesn't matter if you're an area expert or whatever it's like it's not being an area expert in virology or uh you know demolition or like structural mm -hmm. engineering it's just you see the structure of the conspiracy the arguments, type yeah. arguments yeah. and it's always the same mm -hmm. and i like I, I i think matt and i for example our next episode is going to be about the um sense makers ecosystem yeah and then oh god i listened to this for five minutes but i spaced out i was like forget this shit it's it's one of the hardest ones we've done because it's like it's, it is one of those things where i keep listening after 20 minutes i like it's been playing for an hour and like oh i tuned out 40 minutes ago it's just been playing in my ear and like have to go back but the um oh, god. The, the thing about them is like you can regard them to some extent as like fairly harmless just like waffle addicts they're just addicted mm -hmm. to like waffling 
and you know like kind of what's the harm in that right like it's yeah. it's just people constructing yeah. elaborate cloud castles okay. and and you know like people get together and talk about breaking bad i listen to the podcast on breaking bad right and it's people spending hours discussing the intricacies of episodes of breaking bad and you're like okay you know it's not for everyone but it's for it's for people who want that but like with the sense maker okay have you heard about a Brittany martinez she's got a one minute video here talking about how men marry the woman ever since i heard this theory i cannot get it out of my mind Men marry the woman in front of them at the time they are ready to get married. Let's talk about it. So I was scrolling through TikTok one day, as we all do, and I came across this photographer. She's obviously been at a lot of weddings, and she observed that the men were marrying the woman in front of them at the time that they were ready to get married. Implying that that wasn't necessarily that man's soulmate or that man's love of his life. It was just the girl he was dating at the time he was ready to get married and settle down. Like when you decide, especially a man, when a man decides that he is financially and emotionally ready for marriage and ready to settle down and ready to start a family, he takes a way different approach to dating. That part in his brain of like, oh, there's another girl out there shuts off because okay that's it for now guys gonna say bye bye